decision to align my thinking with the promises of God. And every one of you has the same choice to make. God's no respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of promises. Jeremiah 1.12, he says, I stand ready to perform my word. It's my last one and I'm done. Write this down. He persisted. He persisted into his promise. Really felt God stir my heart to land on this tonight. Um, because being born again is an event. Being transformed is a life. It's a lifetime. Doesn't happen on accident. Doesn't happen um, in a moment. I think it's funny to me that God doesn't give him an answer. He gives him a process. Gave him a process. Some of us, were so spiritual, we think the answer to everything is a moment. And listen, I am a believer probably more than most in the power of a moment. Man, I've got moments. I feel like I live from moment to moment, but it can be years in between. <laughs> it can be years in between. The Bible says he dipped seven times. See, seven, it speaks to the perfect nature of God's process in your life. He says, no, no, dip seven times. Not four, not five. Seven. Seven speaks to perfection, the fulfillment of God's will. It speaks to the process. God says, no, no, no. I've got a process that's perfect for your problem. Come on, somebody. See, and responding in obedience once doesn't bring a breakthrough for Naaman. Doesn't bring a breakthrough. He doesn't go dip one time and come out smooth as a baby's butt. Come on. I love that. In the end, come on, we've got hindsight bias. We already read the end of the story. He came out smooth, baby butt smooth. I'm offending some people in here now. I can feel it. Help me, Jesus. And I'm even trying to be good. It doesn't, it doesn't bring breakthrough. Listen, with God, sometimes it's a miracle in a moment. But sometimes it's a miracle through a process. Renewal comes through repetition. It's the seventh dip that he's transformed. You know, scientists, they tell us that it takes seven to eight times to form a habit. It can take 30 days, but seven to eight times doing the same thing the same way before it becomes habitual. Many people never make it to the point of transformation. They never see the promise come, and they blame God the Bible says that God cannot be blamed. He cannot be. Because His promises are sure and they're true. If you will do God's process, you will see God's promise. But people forfeit halfway through. You think you're not getting anywhere because your outward issue hasn't shifted yet. But what you don't see is that every time you're being obedient to God and His Word, something's changing inside of you. You're looking at the outward, but God looks at the heart. You're wanting God to shift your body, shift your marriage, shift your children, but God's trying to change your mind. If He just fixes your situation, you're good for the moment. But if He can change your mind, you're good for a lifetime. If God fixes your situation, you get out. But if God will change your mind, you can bring hundreds out with you. 
We see this in the Old Testament. Israel got out of Egypt, but Egypt never really got out of them. Many of us get out of the world, but the world never gets out of our mind. And so we're living in God's kingdom, but we're thinking earthly thoughts. And so we've got all the promise, all the potential. Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus is ours, but we're limited because of our thinking. We want God to do the zap. We're so microwave-minded in this generation. We, We did it once. We tithed once. We went to counseling once. We confessed once. We prayed once. And nothing happened. So we gave up. God must not be true. Or maybe he loves other people more than he loves me. I don't know. But can I just say, God is asking all of you to do it. To do the process. A miracle. Uh, will change your moment, but a process will change your life. He got 10 sets. It must be Gucci or something. I'm not sure. 10 sets of clothing. Now, let's just skip down for time's sake to verse 9. It says, So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, his entourage, and he waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. He says, Hey, Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman came out and stalked away. He said, I thought you would certainly come out to meet me. I expected him, listen to this, this is awesome. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy. Call on the name of the Lord of Damascus. Or excuse me, call on the name of the Lord, his God. And heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. This is so good. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? This sounds like a conversation my wife has had with me a couple times. I don't know about you, but this just this resonates. He says, So shouldn't you obey him if he simply says, Go wash and be cured? So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, and he dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became healthy as the skin of a young child, baby smooth. Come on. And he was healed. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to the man of God. They stood before him, and he said, I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. But he said, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts, and although he urged him to take it, he would not. Would you pray with me briefly? We'll jump right in. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the opportunity that's here tonight. I pray every heart would be open. Pray for miracles, signs, wonders, lives changed. Shift your people tonight, God. Do something miraculous in this place. May there be more than a word from Jordan. But may there be a word from God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, so this is a a really radical story. What I love about this is so you've got the guy who's commanding arguably one of the largest armies in history at this point. He's very successful. He's driven much success uh, for the king. How many know the guy that wins battles for you is an important person on your team? And if we had any doubt about that, 
just look at how much he opened his wallet, come on somebody, so that he could go get this stuff figured out. I think it's interesting that the Bible says that this man was mighty and that he was used by God. He was used by God. The Bible is clear to tell us that it was God that gave Naaman victory. It was God that gave him victory. He was a mighty man. He was a winner. He was powerful. He was influential. He was a leader. But although he was mighty in public, he was plagued in private. He struggled. He had a sickness. And in the Old Testament, the leprosy almost always speaks to us regarding sin. How many know that you can be mighty in public, but be plagued in private? You can be effective at your job and go home and struggle privately. You can be a great leader in the workplace. You can be a great leader among your peers. You can have a great reputation in your community and go home to bondage. Go home to bondage in your mind, bondage in your life, bondage in your family, bondage in your marriage, sickness in your household. You can be mighty in private, but bound up in private. You know, statistically, most people today are in this place. People want to look good on the outside, but on the inside, we're really messed up. And Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, all the other chats, I don't know, I'm getting older, I can't even keep up anymore, it's sad, I used to be on it, and I just can't even be on it anymore. I rock the Insta and all that stuff, but here's the thing, I'm just finding more and more people are trying harder and harder and harder to look good on the outside, but on the inside, I'm finding people are more messed up today than we've ever been. Everybody wants to look good on the outside. Everybody wants to have it going on on the outside. But very few people today have it going on on the inside. I like to say it this way. Time will either promote you or expose you. It's just a matter of time. And I believe that Naaman understood this. He understood that the battle he was fighting in private would eventually overtake him in public. You could, there was no cure for leprosy in this time period. We know today it's just a, a skin infection that impacts your nerves and eventually eats things away. And it can be treated with simple antibiotics today. But back then, it was fatal. And it was viewed as a mark of sin upon your life. A mark of struggle upon your life. We know that Jesus came later and would heal lepers, would touch them and interact with them. But at this point, there was no way out. And so when Naaman heard about an answer, there were a few things that he did that brought breakthrough into his life. That brought great breakthrough, actually. And I want to dig into those today. I want to give them to you quickly. But if you take notes, you know, it's scientifically proven, you're like, 90% more likely to go to heaven if you'll just take notes. It's, it's amazing. I think it's even in the Bible somewhere. Probably the New Testament. I'm not sure. Ask your pastor. But I want to give you just a couple things tonight that I think will help you that are taken straight from the life of Naaman. Is it okay if I just preach from the Bible? Okay. I, I heard you like the Bible here. So why don't you write these down, all of you who are heaven bound. Come on. Number one, 
He sought help with his battle. He sought help with his battle. I have a two-year-old named Jabin who is the most amazing child that's ever been born. I'm sorry. Um, I told my firstborn, I said, dude, listen, I love you, but I really love your brother. I don't know. He just, uh, so my firstborn, I have an heir and a spare, okay? I'm just letting you know. So I have, I have, I have a, my firstborn who's my clone. I'm just telling you, he is my clone. He is everything that I am, even in the ways I don't want him to be. Any parents relate? Come on, somebody. Then I, my number two baby, he, he's our baby. He's my last baby, um, and I don't know. He's just our baby, and he's got my size. He's two and weighs five pounds less than his seven-year-old brother. I'm not sure where he gets it from. I don't know. He got Goliath from dad, I guess. I'm not sure. But he's got his mama's heart and his mama's eye. He's just a teddy bear, or was, until about four months ago. And so something happened. And now he's in the meltdown mode. You guys know what I'm talking about. And it's interesting. We're trying to get him to communicate a little better. Like my first child is a talker like his daddy. And this one, he's a little more internal like his mama. And so we're trying to get him to process some stuff. But, you know, he's kind of in that mode where he'll just like self-destruct. You know what I mean? Internally. Just like, ah, freak out, you know. And he's, he's over in the corner breaking stuff. And I'm like, what happened? You know, like oh, I couldn't reach my fruit snack, you know, or whatever. The reality is, though, he gets it all bottled up on the inside. And if he would just ask for help, help would be on the way. Like, you're my favorite. You know what I mean? I'll make it rain fruit snacks in this place. You want three? Don't tell your mom. You know, like, but he keeps it all bottled up. And see, the thing is, is some of us never grow out of this. We never grow out of this. We start, it starts at two. It's automatic. Adam messed us up. I'm just telling you. Some of us never grow out of it, though. We hit two. We keep the battle inside. And some of us are 40 now. And we mask it a little better. And we do a little better with it. But we still keep our battles bottled up on the inside of us. And here's the reality. You are only as sick as your secrets. You are only as bound up as what is inside of you that has not been brought out of you. And until the battle shifts inside of you from I'm doing it on my own, I'm doing it in isolation. If the devil can keep you in isolation, he will take you out every single time. And we are facing a generation of people who are more connected digitally and more alone relationally than ever before in history. This is why it's vital you're in a small group. It's vital you have real relationships. It's vital you don't come to this place and worship God and go home and watch it on Facebook but have no real relationships. you got to know somebody. you got to have someone in your life that the battle can shift from a, it's my battle to it's our battle. That's what the family of God's all about. Let me ask you a real deep question. Who do you have in your life that you can confess your problems to? The battles you're dealing with internally, listen, they lose their power the moment they're exposed to the light. There's power in that. Matter of fact, we find forgiveness, we find forgiveness when we turn to God. But you find healing when you turn to people. A lot of people think, well, it's just me and Jesus. 
It's just me and Jesus. It's all I need, just me and Jesus. I don't have any relationship. You know, there actually was a situation in the very beginning of creation when it was just him and Jesus. Adam was the only one that could ever say, oh, it's just me and Jesus. And even God looked down and went, this is not good. <laughs> it's the only time in creation he said that. So it always freaks me out when church people come. They're like, you know, I went to your church for a while, but, you know, I just stay home. It's just me and Jesus. I'm like, you need a little more. You know what I'm saying? Like, you need a little bit more. The reality is this. You find forgiveness the moment you turn to God. But if you want to see healing breakthrough into your life, you better find a human being that you trust enough to look in the eyeballs and say, this is my struggle. Pray for me that I might be healed. Listen, we love James 5.16. Well, we love the back part of it. I hear it quoted, misquoted, more than almost any other scripture in the Bible. More than almost any other. You guys know the one I'm talking about. Come on. The earnest prayer of the righteous has great power to produce wonderful results. Or let me go, let me go King James if you're the King James. The earnest prayer of the righteous person availeth much. I know some of you are old school. I can feel it. You like the King James. But we forget the first part of this. Listen, it says, confess your sin to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. Then, James says, the earnest prayer of the righteous person produces wonderful results. You've got to take that passage in context. He's saying, you're confessing your stuff. You're turning upward for forgiveness. You're turning outward for healing. And when you model that pattern, healing will invade your life. Because God paid for both. Sickness is to your body what sin is to your soul. On the cross, Jesus paid for both. But you get them differently. One, God is ordained to come from him. He alone forgives sin. The other, though, is released through relationship. I'm not saying God can't do a miracle. I've been supernaturally healed. I've seen people super, nobody laid hands, nobody prayed, just miracle. But nine times out of ten, God sticks to his process. He sticks to his process. Who are you turning to in times of trouble? There's a process to God's promises. He turned outward, he went to the king. And he turned to God, he went to the prophet. There's a model. And when we follow God's plan, God's processes, we see God's promises come about. You can't get God's stuff your way. Matter of fact, I want you to write this down. Number two, he changed his mind. He changed his mind. Matter of fact, let me re read 2 Kings 5, 11, and verse 13 for context. Because I want you to see this. The Bible says that in verse 11, he became angry and he stalked away after the prophet gave him the recipe for his promise. The promise was that he would be healed if he would do what God said. But in verse 11, it says he became angry and he walked away. And he says, listen, I thought. Very important. Many people have forfeit the promises of God in their life because of that very thing. Well, I thought. Well, I thought. How many know God's ways are higher than your ways? His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You want God's promises? you got to do God's stuff. you got to do it God's way. He said, I thought he would certainly come out and meet me. And look it. He said, and I expected him to woo, do a little Harry Potter magic. 
do a little, little dash of this and a dash of that, and I would be healed. And because that didn't happen, he went away in a rage. Listen to verse 13. It says, but then his officer. How many glad for those people that are like reasonable and spiritual in your life? Again, if you don't have these people, you're probably in trouble. You need to get in a small group or something and find one. But his officers tried to reason with him, and they're like, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So, like, all due respect, sir, like, he just told you to go dip in the river like seven times. Shouldn't you just listen and be healed? See, you can't walk into God's promises thinking with an earthly mindset. Naaman turned to seek God, but he wanted to do it through a natural mindset. The Bible says the natural mind is actually an enemy to God. It will tell you that God's stuff doesn't make sense. And it will keep you from experiencing all that God wants you to have. As a matter of fact, the level of freedom and promise you walk in is determined by the way you respond to God's word. Let me say that again. The level of freedom and promise that you walk in is determined by the way you respond to God's word. He processed what God said to him through a natural mind. And he said it doesn't make sense. What you're saying doesn't make sense, so he rejected it. And in doing so, he rejected the promise that was attached to the process. Let me just tell you, friends, walking in the Spirit is a mindset. It's not a religious formula. It's a mindset. You want to walk in the Spirit? You want to walk in God's promises? You want to walk in God's power? It's a mindset. Matter of fact, let me read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Some of you like the brethren. Can we just bring brethren back? I love that word. Listen, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? What? By the renewing of your what? That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, God is trying to transform your life by bringing your thinking in line with his. That's how God changes you. He changes you one thought at a time. He changes you one way of thinking at a time. He changes you one mindset at a time. People are only as bound as their thinking. People are only as addicted as their thinking. People are only as limited as their thinking. You want to go higher in God? you got to think higher. You think your way out. You don't work your way out. You surrender to God's process. You surrender to the Holy Spirit. He begins to change your way of thinking thinking. You know your mind is starting to get renewed when what you used to believe was impossible now seems reasonable. It seems like the right thing to do. But many people forfeit blessing and promise because what God said doesn't make sense. See, the enemy is also at work in your thoughts. God's trying to transform you through bringing your thinking into alignment with his. But the devil is trying to conform you by bringing your thinking in line with the logic of this world. 
with what's popular in media, what's popular politically. He's trying to conform you. And if you surrender to that process, you will end up just like everybody else. Limited, bound up, lonely, defeated, sick, and plagued by sin. Many people keep the chains of their dysfunction simply because the answer didn't look like what they thought it would. As a matter of fact, I have found in my experience with God, he will oftentimes jack me with the messenger just so that I have to be humble to receive the word. Yeah, it will be your wife 80% of the time, men. It might be your children, mothers. It might be your mother-in-law, ladies. God loves to send his package through the carrier you least likely want to receive it from. Just to make sure you're humble when you sign to accept it. That's exactly what he did with Naaman. It came through a slave. Initially, then it came through the assistant. He sent out an intern. And Naaman was offended. He wasn't about to listen to the intern. Send me the real deal. It's funny, I've never been a youth pastor, but because I'm young and I look 12, I can't grow a beard like your pastor and get all sagely, you know. I look like a hillbilly from the backwoods when I try, you know what I'm saying? And so I get this a lot. People tell me, well, you know, who's the real pastor here? Kid you not. Sometimes I want to say, I am the real pastor, fool, you know? <laughs> but the Lord's working on me. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but God loves to send messengers, come on, in a youthful form, <laughs> in an offensive form. Listen to me, your breakthrough is determined by how you respond to what God said to you, period. How you respond to what his word tells you. Because God said it, it's true. When you believe it, it becomes transformational. You can know all the Bible in the world and be bound up, demon-possessed, tormented, limited. You can be a Pharisee. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, although they were full of knowledge. They lacked any internal transformation. What, because God said it, simply because God speaks, it's true. But when you believe it, it's transformational. Who cares who delivered the message? Who cares if he can't grow a beard? Who cares if it was an intern? Who cares if it was your mother-in-law or your children? Life change doesn't come from altering God's word to fit your thinking. It comes from changing your thinking to fit what God said. You just got to do it. It's your time to change. It's your time to unlock your life. It's your time to take the limits off. It's your time to drop the shackles. There's a promise for you. There's power available for you. But you're not going to find it trying to tweak it so that it's not offensive to your carnal mind. It's not going to happen. 
It's going to happen when the promise is received by you exactly the way God says it and you bring your life into obedience to what he said. You know, I found that people either live up to two, one of two things. They live up to promises or they live up to the pronouncements of people. Here's the thing. Yeah, I pastor a cool church. I can't even take credit for anything God's ever done for me, through me, for me, nothing. I shouldn't have any of it. I don't deserve to stand on any stage I've ever been on. I don't deserve to speak to people like you. I don't deserve, I don't, none of that. As a matter of fact, I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't be alive. I spent years of my life putting a needle in my arm, blowing my brains out with drugs, running the streets, came from a broken home, no dad, messed up life, mom trying to make it work, multiple jobs, got hooked up with the wrong people, the wrong girlfriend, the wrong stuff, led me down a dark path. I was hopeless at the end of my rope, sitting in a jail cell in 2005 when God came for me. And I don't know any other way to explain it except God came for me. Nobody showed up. Nobody preached a good sermon. Just the Spirit of God came for me. Messed up, lonely, broken, jacked up. And I started opening this thing called the Bible. And as I would read this Bible, it was like God himself would speak to me. And I would start getting promises that I knew were more than just words on a page. They were from the very heart and mouth of God. And I remember reading Jeremiah 3.16. Or excuse me, Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. They're good plans, not plans for destruction. I didn't know everybody in the world had a coffee cup with Jeremiah 29.11 on it. I didn't know 18% of all the ministries in America were named 2911 Ministries, International, Incorporated. I didn't know any of that. I just knew when I read it, God spoke to me. And as I said, Lord, I believe that's for me, I'll never forget the voice of God came for me in that jail cell. It was the first time I ever heard his voice so clear, and he just said this. He said, Jordan, you will not end here. I'm going to bring you out of here. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to use your life to influence other people. Your life will be powerful. Your life will change the world. You are going to do something great, not because of what you did, but because of what I have called you to do. I'll never forget it. And after that, I had people tell me, Jordan, you're always going to be the same. You're never going to change. It's always going to be that way. You're going to be a drug addict forever. You're going to die in prison. It's going to be the same old stuff. And I had a decision to make. I could either live up to the pronouncements of men, or I could make a decision to align my thinking with the promises of God. And every one of you has the same choice to make. God's no respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of promises. Jeremiah 1.12, he says, I stand ready to perform my word. It's my last one and I'm done. Write this down. He persisted. He persisted into his promise. Really felt God stir my heart to land on this tonight. Um, because being born again is an event. Being transformed is a life. It's a lifetime. 
doesn't happen on accident, doesn't happen um, in a moment. I think it's funny to me that God doesn't give him an answer. He gives him a process. Gave him a process. Some of us, were so spiritual, we think the answer to everything is a moment. And listen, I am a believer probably more than most in the power of a moment. Man, I've got moments. I feel like I live from moment to moment, but it can be years in between. <laughs> it can be years in between. The Bible says he dipped seven times. See, seven, it speaks to the perfect nature of God's process in your life. He says, no, no, dip seven times. Not four, not five. Seven. Seven speaks to perfection, the fulfillment of God's will. It speaks to the process. God says, no, no, no. I've got a process that's perfect for your problem. Come on, somebody. See, and responding in obedience once doesn't bring a breakthrough for Naaman. Doesn't bring a breakthrough. He doesn't go dip one time and come out smooth as a baby's butt. Come on. I love that. In the end, come on, we've got hindsight bias. We already read the end of the story. He came out smooth, baby butt smooth. I'm offending some people in here now. I can feel it. Help me, Jesus. And I'm even trying to be good. It doesn't, it doesn't bring breakthrough. Listen, with God, sometimes it's a miracle in a moment. But sometimes it's a miracle through a process. Renewal comes through repetition. It's the seventh dip that he's transformed. You know, scientists, they tell us that it takes seven to eight times to form a habit. It can take 30 days, but seven to eight times doing the same thing the same way before it becomes habitual. Many people never make it to the point of transformation. They never see the promise come, and they blame God the Bible says that God cannot be blamed. He cannot be. Because His promises are sure and they're true. If you will do God's process, you will see God's promise. But people forfeit halfway through. You think you're not getting anywhere because your outward issue hasn't shifted yet. But what you don't see is that every time you're being obedient to God and His Word, something's changing inside of you. You're looking at the outward, but God looks at the heart. You're wanting God to shift your body, shift your marriage, shift your children, but God's trying to change your mind. If He just fixes your situation, you're good for the moment. But if He can change your mind, you're good for a lifetime. If God fixes your situation, you get out. But if God will change your mind, you can bring hundreds out with you. We see this in the Old Testament. Israel got out of Egypt, but Egypt never really got out of them. Many of us get out of the world, but the world never gets out of our mind. And so we're living in God's kingdom, but we're thinking earthly thoughts. And so... We've got all the promise, all the potential. Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus is ours. But we're limited because of our thinking. We want God to do the zap. We're so microwave-minded in this generation. We, we did it once. We tithed once. 
We went to counseling once. We confessed once. We prayed once. And nothing happened, so we gave up. God must not be true, or maybe he loves other people more than he loves me. I don't know. But can I just say, God is asking all of you to do it, to do the process. A miracle uh, will change your moment, but a process will change your life. And can I just say this? I'm almost done. But can I just say this? God didn't ask him to do anything he couldn't do. God didn't ask him to fly. Fly up to the moon and grab a rock and come back down. And the moon dust will be your healing balm. Thanks very little. I feel like sometimes that's the answers I get from like ultra spiritual people. Well, you just need to pray in the spirit like 14 hours a day. And I'm like, God, I'm going to be bound up forever, you know? Like, I can't even feel like an hour. And I'm drifting, you know what I'm saying? Listen, the Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Listen, we like to make that into something it's not. But can I give you another facet of that diamond? You can do everything God's asked you to do. You not just can do great things, because you can, but that's not all that scripture's talking about. 90% of the time, that's what it's preached with. But I'm telling you, you can do all things. You can do the hard stuff. You can be disciplined. You can go to marriage counseling. You can fight through that situation. You can be humble. You can make reconciliation. You can call your in-laws and ask them to forgive you. You can do that. You can do all things. Christians should have a can-do spirit about them. We can do all things through Christ who makes us strong. Naaman shifted somewhere in there from it doesn't make sense to I'm just going to do it. I want you to just look at your neighbor and say just do it your second choice neighbor and say just do it just do it do it by God's grace do it in God's strength do it by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you listen to my heart's cry my plea for you tonight just do it you have all the power you need to just do it you've got all the instruction you need to just do it live a godly life get free overcome be full of His spirit and power just do it like God gave me a word for you tonight and it's this the process he has you in is working you don't need to go somewhere else a new wife is not the answer a new husband is not the answer harder drugs is not the answer more liquor is not the answer better investments is not the answer a new career track might not be the answer I'm telling you the process God has you in it's working It's working. And every time you're getting up, every time you're forgiving your wife, every time you're loving your children, every time you're being humble, something's changing inside of you. You're five dips in, and the miracle is on the way. There's 
there's a promise at the end of the process that God has you in right now. And God says, don't abort the process. You're so close to your promise. You're close. Your promise is coming. But it's coming through a process. I want us all to just bow our heads, close our eyes.